0: Today on this edition of the Forest City Church Podcast, guest teacher Jay Hewitt's message for Father's Day is titled, Making the Most Out of Every Opportunity. It is true, my college uh, nickname was Hot Rod, uh, but I think Steve is the only one that literally called me that. And it's also true, I've got a mustache. Can we handle this? Can we handle this mustache this morning? All right, dads, happy Father's Day. I am so glad to be here with you. I'm Jay, I'm a dad, and I'm an Iron Man. And so I've been given a new nickname by the triathlete community, and that's Iron Dad, simply because they're not all that creative. Iron Man, I'm a dad, they put that together. No, they they knew, it was widespread, that they knew that I was doing my race for my daughter. So what does an endurance race have to do with my daughter? Well, for me, it was a love letter of sorts that I was writing to my daughter through this event, I, I have been writing my daughter, Hero. That's her name, Hero. I've been writing her letters uh, on her birthday every year. And I, I bet you there's, there's some of you out there that you, you do this, right? I would fill the pages with words of affirmation. Then i put it in the envelope. And then I would, uh, I would melt wax. And then I'd press down a stamp and imprint my initial. And then I hide it away. I hide it away because at some point... I imagined six years ago when I started this, at some point when she needs it most, I plan to hand this stack of letters to her. Maybe it's the first time her heart is broken. Maybe it's when she's graduating college and she just needs that extra courage to go after her dreams. Or maybe when she loses her dream and it falls through her fingers. But I never imagined, I never imagined that my wife might hand her this stack of letters at my memorial service. See, I've been diagnosed with a terminal brain cancer, and my doctors tell me I may only have four more letters to write. And that was devastating. But in the same way, I saw an opportunity. My diagnosis pushed me beyond words because words only go so far. I saw an opportunity to write a letter to her with my life. Let me tell you how this came to be. I was sitting in my doctor's office, and I heard the three words that nobody wants to hear. You have cancer. My my wife started to cry. I put my hand on her knee to comfort her, and then I braced myself for the fight of my life, to fight for my life. What would you do in a moment like that? just told that, you've been, that you have cancer. Then the doctor went on to tell me that it's terminal and gave a devastating prognosis. What would you do in that moment? For me, spent time with my wife, went home, she collapsed into me, we gently crumbled onto our bed and we just held each other and cried. And then the next day, I took my daughter to preschool. I dropped her off at school, and then went to Dunkin' Donuts to get a maple bar to drown my sorrows. (laughs) I got my my maple bar, I pulled through, I parked in the, the parking lot, and then I was all business. I said to God, I wasn't angry, I'd already worked through some of that stuff in my past, I wasn't angry, but I was confused. And so I was all business, and I said to God, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? And then... He answered through the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit reminded me of the teachings of Jesus, took me right to Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses eight and nine, reminded me that Paul, at one point in his life, he had what he called a thorn in his flesh. It's mysterious. Nobody quite knows what he's talking about, but a lot of, a lot of uh, scholars think that this was some kind of illness that he was suffering through. Paul had a thorn in his flesh. I had a tumor in my brain. I felt a bond to him, and I felt like the words that came from Jesus next would speak to me as well. Although Paul prayed three times, he prayed it through and through. I had prayed it through and through. Lord, spare me from this, but I still got the answer from the doctor after a lot of testing that, yes, you have cancer. What are you doing? Holy Spirit took me to 2 Corinthians, and I remember Paul got the answer no as well. But then the spirit of Jesus explained further to him, my grace is sufficient. My power is perfected in weakness. And then Paul concluded, well then, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And those words ministered to my soul and my heart. And I knew, I'm about to enter a season of weakness and I'm going to get to understand what this scripture means, that when I'm weak, then I am strong. And the thing that I wanted more than anything was to have deep connections with my wife and my daughter. I grew up in a family, it was very dysfunctional, a lot of stuff that I don't even wanna go into, but it, it has made a mark on me that I've been trying to undo in regards to how I connect with the people I love the most. And so more than anything, I wanted to have deep connection with my wife and my daughter and I knew sitting in Dunkin' Donuts, I knew that I was going to allow my wife and my daughter to see me weak. And that vulnerability, although there's any dad in here, you don't want your kids to see you weak, right? But I knew this was something that I needed to undertake for my own sake of being able to connect deeply. I needed to show them vulnerability. But not only would I show them my weakness, but God's power would be displayed in me. And I had an opportunity to make a difference in my daughter's life, in her heart and in her soul. And so I left Dunkin' Donuts feeling like I got an answer. Not happy about that answer, but at least I felt like I knew what God was doing. I got back home and then I prayed another prayer, a very pivotal prayer. I said, okay, God, you help me understand what you're doing Now help me understand, how can I cooperate? Those two prayers, you can pray them at any time, not just when you're facing something devastating. You can pray it today. God, what are you doing? What are you up to in my life? And how can I cooperate? So I I prayed that prayer. I took a walk around my neighborhood. And then the Holy Spirit led me to a place that I would have never got to on my own. He took me back to when I was 10 years old, watching CBS's Wide World of Sports, and this thing called Iron Man came on. I'd never seen anything like it. These elite, elite athletes. I thought, these guys are superhuman. This is insane. Never thought that I could do it. Never really wanted to do it. It's not on my bucket list. A lot of people think, oh, okay, he, did, he got diagnosed with cancer, did an Iron Man. Obviously, that was on his bucket list. It wasn't. But I just realized that if in my weakest moment... If, when I was going through radiation and chemotherapy after a brain surgery, if I trained for and competed in an Ironman, there's no way that God's power wouldn't be on display. I didn't know this at the time, but Ironman's slogan is anything is possible. But when you're going through treatment like that, only with God can all things be possible. And so, I made this decision in my heart of I'm gonna do Ironman. Then I told my wife about it and she was for it. My wife is smart. She's a professor, she's got a PhD, she's smart and she's wise. And if she signed off on it, I thought, huh, okay. Maybe this is beyond me. Then I went to a a pastor, friend of mine, he's always mentored me and I said, is this crazy? He said, absolutely, this is crazy. Should I do it? He said, I think you should. I think if if the Lord's leading you this way, you should do it. And so I decided that I would do Ironman. Now, this is where I feel like I might lose you. Uh, Some of you don't know what Ironman is, so let me tell you what Ironman is. Ironman is a mega triathlon. They took uh, three endurance races and just squashed them all together. So you can secondly swim, bike, and run. You swim 2.4 miles and then you transition to a 112-mile bike ride, and then when you're done with that, you head out for a marathon, 26.2 miles. And you've got to do that in under 17 hours. It's kind of the gold standard of endurance racing. (sighs) But let me tell you this. What's an iron dad? What's an iron dad? An iron dad is anyone, anyone. You don't have to be a triathlete. You don't even have to be a dad, but I'm speaking to you dads today. But an Iron Dad is anyone who's committed to teaching faith by example and is handing down a life dedicated to love, resilience, faith, and strength. That's what an Iron Dad is. And I'll talk more about that at the end. But I believe for everyone in this room, there's an Iron Dad in you. There's an Iron Dad quality faith in each and every one of you. And so I wanna charge you today to live In such a way, to tap into that strength, tap into that faith, to have an Iron Dad quality faith. I challenge you to that because Paul charged Titus to the same thing. In Titus chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, this is the charge that Paul gives to Titus. He says, in the same way, encourage the young men, the next generation, encourage the young men to live wisely And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. So here Paul is saying to Titus, take the scriptures so seriously that you actually allow them to affect your everyday living. Practice what you preach. Behave what you believe. And he says, by doing so, you'll be teaching by example faith to the next generation. This is what Paul charged to Titus over 2,000 years ago. And this is what I bring to all of you today. Because we know, it's been said a million times, that when it comes to faith, more is caught than taught. And our kids don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. And so I want to challenge you to live a life of faith that makes an impact. Because look at at verse 7, that word example. It's a straightforward word. But if you dig a little deeper to the original Greek below it, it's a Greek word, tupo. And tupo, uh, it means uh, a mark left by impact, an imprint. It's a word picture. It's more than just a word. It gives us a word picture. Paul is painting a picture with his words. You know what it brings to mind for me? It brings to mind this This seal that I've been putting on my daughter's letters for the past six years. Melted wax, then an impact of a iron stamp, leaving an impression. Paul's saying, do this with your life. Do this with your faith. Because the next generation, their hearts are like melted wax. They're soft and they're impressionable for good or for bad. And your actions, your actions leave an impact, leave an imprint for good or for bad. And so what mark are you going to leave? What mark are you going to leave on the hearts and souls of the next generation that's looking up to you? With Iron Man, I saw an opportunity to make my mark. And so on the first day of radiation, I started training. On the first day of radiation and chemotherapy, I ran one mile. I just came out of a very, very high-risk brain surgery. Uh, The doctors had to remove a golf uh, ball-size tumor, brain matter, right from the center of my brain. Basically, the part of your brain that makes you into a functioning person. The part of your brain that gives you your personality also gives you your filter. I could have lost all of that. But God guided me to a world-class surgeon and then was with that surgeon during the surgery and I came out with miraculous results. And here I am getting to proclaim God's goodness to you all today. But that surgery, although it removed the tumor, it didn't remove the cancer. And so I started radiation and chemotherapy. And right when I started that, I had told my daughter now, I told my daughter, I'm gonna do this race for you you're my inspiration, I'll be your iron dad. I made a promise. And so I didn't want to, at this point, I had a headache, I was nauseous, I was tired, but I had to let her see me, if she was gonna see me knocked down, I had to let her see me get up and press on. And so I went out and I ran one mile. Now, radiation lasted over six weeks, 30 days, and every day I tried to push myself a little further. By the end of those 30 days, I was running 20 miles. Then radiation was done and they cranked up the chemotherapy. Radiation was hard, chemotherapy was harder on me, personally. I would wake up to go train and I was so nauseous. I had a headache and then fatigue started to set in. But not only that, I came back and although I was running 20 miles, now I had to learn how to swim. I I could stay above water, but I mean, I had to learn how to competitively swim. 2.4 2.4 miles in open water, that's insane. Cause, and I found that out because the first day that I went to the pool, I swam the length of the pool and I was done. I'm like, okay, that's good, I'm out, I'm out. But over the next six weeks, I worked myself up to being able to swim two miles. It's like, okay, this is working. And then I started training for the bike. I thought the bike would be easy, right? When you think about the triathlon of, swimming, biking, and running. Doesn't biking sound the nicest, right? Well, what I didn't realize, uh, I went out for a 10-mile bike ride the first time. I was like, ooh, uh, this is uncomfortable. And then I I kept going. And very soon, I was up to 25 miles. And this is what happened to me at 25 miles. My muscles cramped. My back cramped. I threw out my back, and I was was sidelined for the next three months. Because on chemotherapy, you're at a higher risk of cramping. Being bent over on a bike, now I'm not a super limber guy to start with, but being bent over on a bike for so long and on chemotherapy, it's rough. And then another thing that chemotherapy does, I'm boasting in my weaknesses right now, another thing that chemotherapy does is it kills your white and your red blood cells. Now the one thing that endurance athletes need more than anything is blood cells carrying oxygen to your muscles. So, there's like this really famous cyclist, and uh, he caught, caught doping. And what he was doing in his doping is he's actually infusing more white and red blood cells into his blood system to carry more oxygen to his muscles. So, basically, I was anti doping. So, when I got to the, the ride, it was so hard. Being able to get over 100 miles, it seemed impossible. But every morning, I would get up and I would pray, God, give me strength. I'd have to get up before the sun came up. And you know how hard it is when you say, oh, I'm gonna exercise every day. And then the sun hasn't come up yet and you're tired and you don't feel good. It's hard to get up. I would wake up just wrecked from my, from my cancer treatment. And I'd say, I made a promise to my daughter, God give me strength. And then I'd get up and I'd get after it. And every single time, God provided the strength needed to complete my workout for the day. And so soon enough, I was able to cycle a hundred miles. And then it was time to start using all disciplines at once. It's called brick training. So I started doing my brick training where I would go swim and then ride, ride and then run. Uh, and that was really hard. But then it got harder. This was early 2020, COVID-19, global pandemic, shut down all my training facilities, robbed me of my training partners. And the worst part was, my daughter was no longer at school and my wife was no longer at work. I thought, this is brilliant. I thought, when else would I have time to train for an Ironman without it just killing my time with my family? But my daughter's at school, my wife's at work, I'm on paid medical leave, so I'll train during that time. But now, my daughter's at home, my wife's working from home, trying to educate my daughter. Can you imagine, well, I was was about to say, could you imagine the stress? Yes, you live that stress. But could you imagine if your husband's like, peace out, I'm going for a bike ride. Every morning when they would wake up, I was gone. And at this point I was in high volume training, so I was gone for a long time. And it put so much stress on my family the exact opposite of what i had hoped for in this event and so i started to doubt myself maybe i didn't hear correctly from god you ever feel that way you thought you heard the voice of the lord and then you're like mm, that was stupid i was wondering lord did i did i miss the boat on this should i quit and then my race got canceled I was supposed to do Ironman Australia. I thought I was so clever. My wife and daughter, their favorite animal is koalas. And so I thought, we'll take a family vacation around the race. It'll be so great. Uh, my, My wife said, not so much. But anyway, that got canceled, which meant I had to defer my race to further out, which meant I would put more stress on my family. But I deferred. I kept training. And then my next race got canceled. I deferred, kept training, that race got canceled. And I came to my friends and I said, I don't know what to do, I'm caught here. I can't keep training and keep putting this stress on my family, but I can't break the promise to my daughter. What do I do? And then Iron Man canceled all of their races worldwide. Worldwide, every, every race was canceled. And they called me. At this point, I was an Ironman-sponsored athlete. So I'd been in communication with them, and their uh, head of, of media called me. And he said, Jay, we're going to do something historic. We're going to do our first-ever Kona World Championship Ironman virtual. It's a full-distance race, 140.6 miles, and we're going to do it all virtually, tracked by, tracked by your watch. And they said, and we want you to lead the way in it. They said, we'll do, we'll do athlete spotlights before. We'll send out our crew, that, our ABC crew that's normally at the race. We'll send them to follow you on the race and do live check-ins as we go. And then we'll interview you after on our broadcast. And I thought, this sounds good, but it also sounds like there's a catch. What's the catch? They said, well, you just have to plan your own race. <laughs> right, so I've got to plan 140 miles worth of racing and get together about 150 volunteers to staff all the aid stations. Oh, that I've got to also stock all those aid stations along the way. And I've got to do this with no other competitors. If you're an athlete in here of any kind, you know how difficult it is to compete without competitors. If you're just competing against yourself. And this is the first time I've done something like this. And I thought, I don't know. So I talked to my wife about it. And she said, Jay, it was, it was sweet that you were willing to you know plan this vacation around your, your race. It, it was sweet, but it was a little idealistic. And she said, do you, do you realize now, hero doesn't have to go anywhere, but you get to race here? And God just opened my eyes to see the significance and the opportunity that now, instead of traveling, I would do this race in my own hometown And over the course of 140 miles, I'd be racing home to see my wife and my daughter. And once I saw that opportunity, I called Ironman back and I said, I'm in, I'm in. And so Ironman set up a a start line at the Pacific Ocean. And the day before the race, they constructed their finish line right in front of my house. Before I knew it, it was October 10th, 2020, 4 a.m. And my alarm went off zero dark 30, I prayed, God give me strength. I got out of bed and guess what? I felt good. All of those side effects from treatment, I didn't feel any of them. Maybe it was the Lord answering prayers, maybe it was the adrenaline. I don't know, I don't care, I felt good. I got out, I ate a poke bowl, uh, why? I don't know, I, just, I found in training that raw fish and rice was a great way to start a swim. Anyway, so I eat my poke bowl, I double check all of my equipment, And then I head out to uh, the Pacific Ocean, out to Newport Beach. And when I get there, I see the starting line. I see a gazebo overlooking the the ocean. And about 100 of my friends were there. They constructed an opening ceremony. And uh, Steve Carter flew out. And he's the one that led the opening ceremonies. So he talked about finding opportunity and obstacles, and then led everyone in prayer over me and sent me to the start line. I stood at the start line. I looked over at my wife and daughter. They had the bullhorn. And I asked, are we all ready to go to our race coordinator? I said, yeah, everything's good. And I said, all right. And they blew the, the bullhorn and I sprinted to the water. Well, I turned on my watch. Then I sprinted to the water and I dove in and it was so cold and it was invigorating And I pulled and I kicked as hard as I could. And soon I was going alongside a pier. And I looked up every time I would take a stroke. I looked up and a bunch of my friends were lining the pier. There were were guys with big Iron Dad flags waving them back and forth. And I was like, ah, this is so cool. And I'm swimming. And as I came out, I saw my daughter. The dawn had just broke. And I locked eyes with my daughter. And she could tell. She smiled and she started waving. And I was just mid stroke as I came out. And so as she was waving, I waved to her and she started jumping up and down with glee and a joy filled my heart. And I learned what the scripture means that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I pushed through that swim and about a mile into the swim, I got into this great rhythm and I started meditating on the Lord's prayer. And I found so much strength in the presence of the Lord. And I started to meditate and I was able to forgive people of my past in in areas of depth that I just never could get to before. And at the end of 2.4 miles, I came out of the water like a baptism and I ran to the transition zone and I felt, well, that was a good warm up. I feel ready to get on this bike. And I did, I got on the bike and I headed out. Now, uh, consistently rated in the top 10 bike rides in the world is Pacific Coast Highway in California. And this was my bike route. So I jumped on my bike, and now the sun was just rising. Beautiful colors in the sky. The weather was perfect. And I was riding up Pacific Coast Highway, beautiful ride anyway, but this was awesome. I had a police escort. So they were shutting down every intersection. I just got to blow right through. So there's all these supercars, Lamborghinis, Ferraris, McLarens, and I'm just blowing past them at the, the intersections, loving life, smiling, laughing. It was the best bike ride of my life. Now, I made sure that I was super on top of my nutrition because I didn't want to cramp up. There's all these highlight videos that Iron Man puts together of people crawling across the finish line because cramping is an issue. And so a lot of people cramp in the final miles and they crawl themselves across. And I didn't want that to happen early in the race. And the only way to combat that is having the right nutrition. So I had planned and practiced my nutrition plan. I was sticking to it. And uh, I was eating the whole 112 miles on the bike. And I felt good. And I finally transitioned. I transitioned inland Orange County. And I put on my running shoes. And then my daughter and my wife showed up. And my daughter ran over to me, jumped in my arms, and I fell over. And I thought, well, maybe I'm not as strong as I feel, but uh, I'm ready for this. So I gave her a kiss, tied my shoes, and took off running. Now, I was planning to, to run nine-minute miles, which uh, elite Ironman, that's, that's a joke. But for first-timers, that's pretty ambitious, ambitious. But I felt like, okay, I can do this. So nine minutes was what I had planned. And I took off running and at a mile, I checked my pace and I felt like ah, I'm probably at nine and a half minute miles. I was at eight minute miles. I was like, okay, you hear the phrase? It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Okay, that's real. So I'm like, okay, I gotta slow this down, go back. And, and I decided I'm gonna, I'm gonna back off to 10 minute miles and then find my, my pace. So I back way up and then two miles in, I check my pace again, I'm still at eight minute miles. And I think, huh. Maybe the, you know, this whole strength and weakness thing, maybe the Lord has just given me superhuman powers and maybe I'm gonna crush my time. Now, I was already three hours ahead of schedule. So I was flying through the whole race and I thought, hmm, maybe I'll be able to do this uh, even faster than I'd planned. And then, ugh, it happened. My stomach turned on me. I knew chemotherapy was gonna be a battle for me. I knew it. I assumed that it would be through cramping. What I didn't know is chemotherapy had wreaked havoc on my digestive system. And so all of this nutrition that I was putting into my stomach, it wasn't absorbing through my gut lining. It was just sitting there, which is fine on a bike because your stomach is stationary. But then when you start running, all of a sudden, everything that's in there lets you know that it's there. And when uh, things took a turn, I realized something. I'm just at the beginning of a marathon. I can't hold anything down, even a sip of water. If I can't take a drink of water for an entire marathon, there is no way my body's going to make it. If I'm already subject to cramping, if I have zero water, the human body cannot do a marathon with zero water. This might be the end of my race this might be the moment where it all falls apart and I may not make it across the finish line. So I had to battle with that. I kept pressing on, I kept going, but I had to really think this might not end like I wanted it to end. And I I came to this realization that there is strength in the attempt. Even if I don't make it, there is strength in the attempt. And I changed my mantra and my mantra then became, you've got nothing to prove, just an example to set. You have nothing to prove, just an example to set. Because everybody was worried for me. Everybody was worried that under the current conditions that my body was in, why would I push it so much? I was already suffering the side effects of chemotherapy, radiation, surgery. Why would I subject myself to more suffering? Couldn't that cause more harm to me? And so I said, okay, got nothing to prove. I just have an example to set. I'm going to press on, but there's most likely going to come a point where my body can't handle it. And it doesn't matter how much mental fortitude I have. If my body cramps, I'm done. I have nothing to prove, just an example to set. And it's, it's hard to keep going when you think that failure awaits you. But I kept going. 10 miles into the run, oh, it was the hardest 10-mile run I've ever experienced. It's like running with the stomach flu. And I'm running, and now I'm 120 miles into this race. I'm 12 hours in. I don't even like to sit in a car for four hours. I'm 12 miles in. I'm suffering. I'm miserable. And I'm thinking, this is going to end in failure. So the, the tricks that were being played on my mind were just, oh, it's hard to withstand. So at... Uh, 120 miles, my coach heard that I was sick. She had flown in from Boise. She put on her running shoes. She met me at the next aid station and she ran beside me. And she started to problem solve with me. Real quick, do you have somebody running beside you? somebody that would fly out for you, somebody that would put on running shoes and run beside you at your weakest moment. We all need people like that and we need to be that type of person as well. She started problem solving with me and she said, Jay, you have too many electrolytes in your stomach. You need more salt in your blood. So she gave me some salt tablets that I put under my tongue and all of a sudden, everything equaled out. All of a sudden, I could feel my stomach absorbing the nutrition that was left in there. And all of a sudden, I thought, I have a chance at this and my mood changed, and I continued to press on. 130 miles, 139 miles. The end was in sight. I pulled into my neighborhood, and I could hear the party, I could see the party. There's all these lights, I could hear the music, the laughter, the cowbells, and I started to pick up speed, pick up pace, and I headed towards the barn. My friends spotted me, and they just erupted. I ran through two walls of support and as I would run through, friends would peel in behind me and they would run me home and then I turned the corner to my street and when I turned the corner, I saw the finish line and I saw my wife and my daughter holding a sign that said, there's no place like home. Everything else faded away. I locked in on them and I floated to the finish line. When I crossed reunited with my family. I kissed my wife, I kissed my wife. And then I got down on one knee with my daughter. And I said, honey, if I can do it, you can do it. If I can do it, you can do it. You inspired me, honey. And God is gonna put dreams in your heart. Go after those dreams. Your mom and I have your back. Go after those dreams and know that at some point, life is gonna knock you down. But you hold on to the hope of Jesus. You find strength in the spirit and you get up and you press on. Honey, if I can do it, you can do it. And I wanna to say to every one of you in here, I am nothing special. I'm just a jar of clay that carries the gospel of victory And because my God is strong, in my weakness, I've been made strong. And that's available to all of you. And so if I can do it, you can do it. And so you need to answer the question now. What are you going to do? When life knocks you down, when it beats you up, when everything falls apart, what are you going to do? There is a next generation that's looking to you. And so I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. You're gonna show them love and resilience and faith and strength. You are gonna show them a pure love that's undivided, unmerited, unconditional, sacrificial, pure love. You're gonna show them resilience, true grit, determination that will go the distance, a confidence not in yourself, but in your God, whose presence and strength is enough. And they'll see your faith, your authentic faith, never veering, always persevering, always trusting a faith that will carry you through. And they'll see strength, God's strength displayed in you. Not your strength, God's strength. And God will get all of the glory and you will make a mark. You will show them awe-striking faith. You'll show them true love and it'll make an imprint on their heart and their soul. You can't control your kids and what they decide and how they will live, but you can inspire them by your life. You can inspire them towards faith. And here is a first step that I want to give you I want to give you a first step towards leaving a mark and living with an iron dad faith. Because honestly, Becoming an Iron Man, it's hard. It's hard. But being an Iron Dad is so much harder. Impossible without God's Spirit guiding you and the community of faith surrounding you. But your first step of leaving a mark is signing your mark. If you look at this creed and you agree with it and say I want to be that. Just sign your name where it says Iron, and this isn't some weird doctrine. This is simply my gift to you because I have been asked so often, Jay, how did you do it? How did you do it? And uh, broadcasters, sportcasters, podcasters—they've all asked me this, and as I've reflected on it, back on it, this is the creed that drove me forward. I was committed to teach faith by example. And I was committed to these four areas of love, resilience, faith, and strength. And it got me through. You're going to face some hard times, but faith like this will pull you through. Forest City, you guys are amazing. Stay strong. Press on. I'm Jay. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Jay Hewitt, guest teacher at Forest City Church, with a message making the most out of every opportunity. You can watch the online version of this message by going to youtube.com slash Forest City Church. Thanks for listening.